Well, good morning, friends. Meet me in Luke chapter 15. Luke is in the New Testament, about three quarters of the way through our Bibles. We're going to read just the first two verses now, but we will come back to this chapter several times during our time this morning. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Let's pray. Father, we begin this time yet again with gratitude for who you are and what you have done for us through your son Jesus, for the ability to still gather even in this weird way during this crazy time. Wherever we might be at this moment, God, in our living room, in our garage, in our car, in Davis, somewhere else around the world, would you help us to pause Would you take whatever we bring into this moment and hold it for us so that we can be fully present, in tune with your spirit, and may we have the courage to respond today in whatever ways we need to respond. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Well, before we really get into it, I want to begin with some thank yous. If you've been following along, uh, journeying with us over the past year, you've uh, undoubtedly observed that the quality of our digital gatherings has increased dramatically, especially since James got here. Under his leadership and dedication, all of these elements have gotten so much better. So I want to begin by saying a big thank you to James. Well done, sir, for all of the work that you are putting in to this. It's not just James, though, that is making the magic happen in these digital gatherings. Behind the scenes, we have a number of different people who are contributing. We have got the Triple J's, Jason, Justin, and Joshua doing tons of great work on some of the technical stuff, sound, audio, some of the visuals that you see. Megan's been doing some of the camera work for the Sunday morning things. And then our worship team, who's been so great throughout the entire Uh, pandemic, so flexible with all the different things that have gone on, continue to be servant-hearted in the ways that you lead us into worship on Sunday mornings. Our teaching team keeps at it, helping us craft these teachings for the conversations we're having as a church. I want to say a big thank you to Kelly, along with everybody else who has been a host. So many people have been able to participate in that way, and it's been very cool. Thank you to our hosts. And then to all of you, tuning in. Thank you for sticking with us. And it is uh, encouraging to me. It's actually kind of mind-blowing to me how consistent you all have been in these digital gatherings. This reminder that we really are better together even when we have to be apart like this. Now this morning, we wrap up. This is part three of a vision conversation, Vision 2021. We've been talking about uh, what God is doing and where we sense sense that we are going next. And of course, we wrap up the conversation, but this is really just the beginning, right? As we start to put some of these things into place. I am so excited by the sparks of imagination 
the, the nudges that people are sensing from the Spirit, the momentum that is starting to build from this series, it is very encouraging to me, and I hope and pray that it is for you as well. Now today, we're in Luke 15. We're going to look at a couple of other sort of vignettes from Luke's gospel, and then we're going to tie this together as we wrap up this vision conversation. So if you still have your Bible in front of you, flip back a couple of pages to Luke chapter 9. Some interesting things that go on here. At this point in the story, Jesus has uh, been doing stuff in public for a little while. Several chapters since he first called his team together, these disciples. And this is the first time, Luke chapter 9, where he sends them out to go and do some things. They, They go and they proclaim the good news about Jesus. They heal people. And then they have this moment where they come back and they process what has happened with Jesus. Now, in the middle of that debrief time, another crowd shows up and Jesus has compassion on them and he heals them and he teaches them and time flies by and it gets to be the end of the day and everybody is very hungry. So the disciples come to Jesus and say, let's send them home so that they can get something to eat. And Jesus says, no, you don't have to send them home. You feed them. You feed them. You give them something to eat. Now, right after this, Jesus sends out an even larger team. We're told in chapter 10 that he sends out 72 people and he sends them out in pairs to go do similar work, proclaim the good news and heal people. Now, in the midst of all of this, a couple things that I want us to see here. First and foremost is this. Jesus's ministry is not a one-man show. Certainly, Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world, but he involves a lot of people in his work, in his mission of redemption and restoration, calling people back to right relationship with God. He involves a lot of people in that right from the very beginning. Discipleship in the way of Jesus is not standing around watching other people do stuff. Discipleship in the way of Jesus is not about taking notes and reading books. It is participatory. It is you feed them. It is go and do this. Try this out and then come back and let's talk about it. The kingdom of right relationships is built by teams. Let me say that again. The kingdom of right relationships is built by teams. There are no solo heroes. There's no questing alone. The 12 go out together. The 72 are split up into pairs. Jesus gives responsibility, participation in this mission away to others. Too much church work, ministry projects are about watching other people do things or trying to shoulder the burden for the task alone. Our desire is for discovery to be a participatory community, a church where you don't just come and watch what's going on, but you are a part of what is going on. And here's the great Uh, The great news, I think, is that we are doing this. This is not just a desire. We are seeing it happen, and it's a beautiful thing to see. I mentioned earlier all those folks who are helping with digital gatherings. Well, there's a bunch of other people who have been a part of making Sunday morning gatherings happen for a long time, whether that's at the theater 
or when we had our outdoor gatherings this last fall. There are teams of people who are working throughout the week to meet local needs, who are uh, helping us with this new facility project, who are planning for our mid-sized community launch coming in April, who are leading our current small groups, who are meeting uh, with apprentices, investing in people, planning events, getting people together to pray. The list goes on and on. This is awesome. It is team-based ministry for us all the way through our church. Team leadership, team work shoulders the burdens. It activates different gifts, and it raises the level of participation. We believe this is how God designed us to work most effectively. It's how God intended the church to function in a healthy way through the work of teams. Teams build the kingdom of right relationships. Now, one team I want to highlight this morning because it's going to be new for us is a team that we're in the process of creating and we're calling it our deacon team. Now, if you are familiar with church culture, you may have heard this word before. It comes straight from the New Testament, the story of the early church in the book of Acts. If you are familiar with church culture, I I certainly grew up in the church, and so I have some stereotypes about deacons. Like I think of older dudes who make really bad coffee in those silver uh, percolators, right? (laughs) You may have some uh, some baggage attached to this word, depending, again, on your background, or you may just think it's a weird word because you've never heard of it before. Either way, our deacon team is a little bit different than some of the maybe traditional ideas about what they do. We are thinking of deacons as a strategic team, almost like a startup team, a team that will help us tackle some tactical strategic issues so that our elder team, our staff team are more free to care for people. We're in the, again, the process of of putting this team together right now. We're going to introduce them to you in March. My invitation this morning, though, is for you to be praying for those who have committed or are in the process of thinking through that commitment. Pray for them as they come together, as that team forms, and as we launch them to tackle some of these questions in the spring. So first vignette, Luke chapter 9. Now let's move to Luke chapter 5. Again, just a few pages over. This great scene where Jesus invites a guy named Levi to be one of his disciples. Levi, it turns out, is a tax collector. Now, if that weren't controversial enough, Jesus goes to Levi's house, and here's that social context for ministry that we talked about last Sunday. Jesus goes to his house, and he parties with his friends. Now, depending on your political leanings, Jesus either just invited a Capitol-building insurrectionist or an Antifa protester to be one of his disciples, and then he goes and he hangs out with his friends. I cannot say just how controversial this was. How uncomfortable it would have made people feel. The Pharisees, in particular, the the teachers of the law, the conservative religious uh, body of leaders at that time, They complain, they mutter, they grumble. They have this very uncomfortable feeling with what Jesus is doing. 
And we see it play itself out all throughout uh, the Gospel of Luke, the other accounts of Jesus' life as well. And it rises up in particular in Luke 15, which we saw earlier and to which we will return here in just a moment. Following Jesus into his mission, into what God is doing in the world, bringing shalom, restoring relationship, redeeming his creation. Following Jesus into this mission, it will make us uncomfortable. This is partly why we started this conversation with the idea of exiles. To be at home on mission is to embrace a level of discomfort. Now, I'm not talking about, oh, we need to be spiritual masochists. What I'm talking about is an openness to God bringing us to places, taking us to places, bringing us to people that we would never have imagined on our own terms. The exiles of Jeremiah chapter 29 never imagined that they would find God in Babylon. And not only that, did not have an imagination to consider that there was a purpose and a reason for them to be there, to seek the shalom of the city that God had brought them to. The disciples and the religious leaders of Jesus' day were in this constant state of shock. Those people are included? Your kingdom is this big? They get to be in on this? You've got to be kidding me. To be at home on mission is to embrace a high degree of surprise and wonder. Oh, that's what you're up to. Oh my goodness, this is so much bigger than I could possibly have imagined. The good news of Jesus, bigger than our imaginations, bigger than our theology, bigger than our politics. The good news of Jesus is bigger even than your ideal church. God's kingdom is for the notorious sinner, the tax collector, the recovering Pharisee. It is for anyone who is willing to come and enjoy the party, the feast that God has for us. Now to our third vignette, this brings us back again to Luke chapter 15, where Jesus tells three uncomfortable stories in direct response to the muttering, the grumbling, the uncomfortableness that the Pharisees are feeling about Jesus' familiarity with tax collectors and sinners. Three stories. First story is about a shepherd. Has a hundred sheep, loses one, leaves 99 to go find the one that was lost. This is bad shepherding. To use modern business parlance, this is radically inefficient. But Jesus wants us to see something important here about who God is, what God is like. God is like a shepherd who will go to any lengths to rescue his one lost sheep. And then God celebrates. God parties when what was lost is found. He backs that up with a story about a woman who loses a coin. She has 10 coins, loses one, goes on this all-out search to find what was lost. 
She probably could have used her time differently, maybe even made that money back or more if she did something else, but she is determined to find what's been lost. And again, when she finds it, she celebrates. And then Jesus tells a great story about two sons, about a father and two sons. One son, the younger son, who we're introduced to first in the story, tells his father off, takes his share of the resources, leaves home, squanders those resources in this far-off land, and then comes groveling back just hoping to be reinstated in his father's household as a servant. Now, the story is also about the older son. The older son who had stayed home, who had worked hard, who felt owed and entitled. You can hear echoes in this story of the two pains that we've been talking about. The pain of getting what you want and the pain of not getting what you want. You see the anger that both of these sons are working through. Of course, when that younger son comes home, the father leaps off the front porch, runs down the street, welcomes him home, throws this huge party. Each story is designed to confront us with the big, radical, awesome love of God. To confront us with our uncomfortableness with the amazing and scandalous grace that God has for his children. Now, as we think and pray and dream about this upcoming year, a year that is still very much full of uncertainty, still very full of tragedy and challenge. I believe there is still hope for us because the mission continues to move forward because God still loves us with this scandalous, awesome love. His grace is still amazing. And so despite whatever challenges we face and whatever projects we give our energy to, whether, again, that's a new facility or an entrepreneurial dream or building teams, launching mid-sized groups, apprenticing people, underneath all of that, in the midst of the challenge of our day, what discovery is all about, we want to be a church for the two sons in that last story. A church for the younger sons. For those of us who have said, this is whack, I'm out. Those of us who have gone off only to discover that we traded the feast for pig slop. Only to come to our senses and realize there's got to be more to this than pursuing my own thing. For the younger sons, the good news, we can come home. We can come home. The father leaps off the porch, runs down the street, to meet us. For the older sons, for those of us who've been doing all the right things, who've been working hard, who feel like we've earned our place, only to be frustrated by the inefficiencies of the kingdom, the exhaustion of the religious game, for the older sons, the good news for us is come into the party. The father says, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Come on in. Come on in. I said at the start of this series 
that we're no longer a church in transition. Discovery over the past four to five years has been in a long season of transition. First, the leadership transition, then culture transition, a mission transition. And I do believe that we will always be in a process of growing and evolving, but that season of transition is over. And we now move into this new season of building. The foundation has been laid. It's time to build this thing together. And here's one of the ways that I sense that this was true, that, that we had turned the corner on all of this. This past fall, someone reached out to me saying, hey, I've been checking your church out. I'm encouraged by what I've experienced so, so far, but I have some questions. Here are some of the things that have been hard for me about church before, and I want to know, what is it going to be like for me at Discovery? We talked about those questions as, as honestly as we could, and I told them, you know, I can't speak for everyone, and I certainly cannot guarantee that you will have a perfect experience. There is no perfect church. But I did say, I, I think that Discovery will welcome you. And I think that this is a good place to be with those questions. And for me, to be able to say that with conviction, you can be here with those questions, that sort of confidence. That's a big deal for me. That was an aha moment for sure. A sign that, oh yeah, we're doing this. We're, we're getting there. Friends, we are at a critical moment, I believe. When you look at things that are going on in our country, you look at the state of the church in the West, there is a desperate need. There is a desperate need for fresh expressions of the body of Jesus, new ways of embodying the presence of Christ in our communities. And we are doing it. We've got a long way to go and a lot of work to be done, but it is happening here in Davis at Discovery. And I am so glad, so grateful to be a part of this with you. Because the good news of Jesus is still good news. It's still the best news for each and every one of us. Even in the madness of our world, the craziness of our moment, that invitation to come home, to join the party. This truth, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. It doesn't get any better than that. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you for this great news. This picture of you leaping off the porch, running down the street, embracing us, bringing us in, throwing a party. This image of you gently inviting us, come on in. I'm always with you and everything I have is yours. God, this is the best news. That we can be with you, we can be in right relationship with you, that you love us, and that you have gone on a great search. Gone through incredible lengths to restore this relationship so that we can experience the abundant life so that we can experience shalom, right relationship with you and with each other. God, we are so grateful for this news. May everything that we do as a community, 
every team that we build, every project we take on, may it all be grounded and rooted in that great love that you have for us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we prepare for communion, this is the highlight of our gathering every Sunday when we get together, in person or online. We gather around the table to remember what Jesus has done for us. Again, that all-out search, the truth that God welcomes us home, invites us in to the party, to the feast. So wherever you are at this morning, I want to invite you to get your elements together, the body or, or the bread, cracker, whatever you have representing the body of Jesus, the cup representing his blood, these elements that symbolize and express God's extravagant love for each and every one of us. Wherever you are today, when you are ready, take and eat the body and blood of Christ.